Our scripture reading today is found in Psalms 51. If you get a pew Bible, it's on page 598, unless you have the large print Bible, and it's on page 889 in the large print. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Well, we're here to wrap up this series uh, today, the David series that we've been in. Uh, the last several weeks for a good part of the summer and uh, today we finish it up with uh, perhaps the most important installment of all and uh, before we dive into that did anyone ever grow up reading or maybe you read to your child or your grandchildren any of the Berenstein Bears books anyone Berenstein Bears. A few people, a few people have heard it. If you haven't heard of the Berenstein Bears, uh, you're about to be introduced. <laughs> Brother Bear and Sister Bear in a room. They were real creative with their names. There's also a Mama Bear and a Papa Bear. <laughs> and they'll come into play in just a moment. This is from a, one of the books that we've read to uh, Hadley, and I guess we will to Peter at some point too. Uh, and we may need to uh, about... <laughs> It's about uh, lies, but it's, it's really, I think, uh, more about what we're talking about today. So they uh, you know, decide to they get bored, and, and they don't want to play outside, and the, there's a soccer ball right there in the living room, and so why not play right here? And then you know, things don't go as planned, and it ricochets around, knocks Mama's favorite lamp off the table. And before they can clean it up, here comes Mama Bear. What happened to my favorite lamp? And all of a sudden, they've got to come up with something, don't they? They feel ashamed. They're needing to hide. They're needing to. So they come up with this story about a bird 
And uh, the bird keeps getting more complicated. It started out just a bird, and then it was a bird with green wingtips, and then he had funny red things on his head, and the story keeps getting more complicated as they tell it. And then Papa Bear comes, and they retell the story, and the bird looks even crazier for uh, Papa Bear until they, maybe that uh, bird he thinks looked like a soccer ball. <laughs> And eventually, you know, obviously the truth is found out and the uh, children eventually confess and Mama Bear gets her uh, lamp put back together and all ends well at the end of the story. But most of us, we can identify with that feeling, right, where the lamp was just broken and then where something happens that's going to bring everything that just happened into the light, right? Something that we would rather keep covered up in darkness but something is about to shed light on it and your chest tightens you get nervous you react, you do something maybe you tell a lie maybe you cover it up, maybe you hide it Uh, maybe you slam the computer screen down or close out that app really fast or uh, hide whatever it was you were looking at or smoking or drinking or whatever the case may be You come up with a story real fast. Uh, For some of us, you know, we can think back to our childhood and we can remember times where we definitely did that when we didn't want to get caught by our parents. But for some of us, that feeling is something that's followed us into adulthood. I would say probably for all of us. At some point in time in your adult life, you've had that same feeling where you've done something. It may not have been monstrous by the world's standards but it made you feel ashamed it was something that you wanted to cover in darkness but something happened that was going to shed light on it and you reacted and maybe you were quick to confess and quick to say "Oh, I'm sorry or maybe you took steps to try and cover it up be it a small thing or a large thing this is something that we all can identify with we can all recognize that feeling because we've all been there because we're all human and David was no different but today we live in a world where people don't like much to talk about sin and they don't like much to talk about anything being something that should cause you shame that you shouldn't have to feel like you have to hide anything that really you should be able to pursue your own happiness without worrying about what other people might think of it. Right? And so they say, you know, you should be able to live and make decisions that that are good for you without having to feel shame or guilt for it or have other people make you feel that way. The problem is, I don't know, if you see it too, but I look around and that doesn't appear to be working. It doesn't appear to be working out very well. As suicide rates and depression rates soar, the whole, I don't have to feel ashamed, I don't have to worry about what other people think thing just doesn't really seem to work, does it? So surely we need some way to deal with this common held experience And we believe around here that Jesus' ways 
are the best ways to live. And what's remarkable to me is that David, David, I believe, was about a thousand years advanced in his theology compared to most of the people in the world and even in Israel at that time. He spoke about sin in a way that made it sound like he knew about Jesus and knew what Jesus would come to do and knew what Jesus would come to teach and what Jesus would accomplish for us on the cross and through his resurrection. It's remarkable. And so we learn today from David the sinner perhaps a more important lesson than we ever learned from David the shepherd when we learned that God sees potential and even the people that no one else does and, or from God, uh, David the, the warrior from whom we learn to trust God in all things or from David the poet from whom we learn to worship God with everything we've got and last week we looked at David the king who accomplished God's purpose for his life by being faithful to it, even in seasons where it didn't seem like it was going well or going as planned. But ironically, perhaps, I think, you know, as you look at this guy, this man called a man after God's own heart, I think we learn more about what made that statement true of David from David as a sinner than we do from all those other things that are, sound high and noble. Because David, the sinner, teaches us something that's essential if we're going to have a right relationship with God. We're told at the beginning of Psalm 51, this psalm attributed to David, that it was for the director of music, a psalm of David, uh, concerning the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Of course, that was only half of it. And this story of David's sin, it's not even his only sin. Certainly not the only sin committed in Scripture. (laughs) But this particular one, it's hard for us to swallow. It's hard for us to imagine. It's hard for us to give grace. It makes us sick, man and woman alike, to this day. One of the things that amazes me about it is how honest Scripture is. Like, you think about the Israelites writing this down. David was a big deal. We've talked about how David is the most mentioned single name in Scripture. He is the king who finally established Israel as a legitimate kingdom. He is also the one from whom the prophet said would come the Messiah. And so you would think it would be easy, even natural, for their historians to whitewash David's life, right? To say, you know, David wasn't that bad of a guy. We might just skip this story altogether. Or more likely, blame the woman, right? In that culture, I mean, it would would have been expected to say, that adulterous woman made him do it. But they didn't. Here it is. All on David's shoulders for all of us to see 3,000 years later. Perhaps you're familiar with the story. Perhaps not. But 
we're told that when all the kings went out to battle, I guess it was, we don't know everything about that culture and in that time, but it appears that there was a, like there's a hunting season now, apparently there was a warring season then, and there was a time when the kings all saddled up and headed out with their armies to go do battle with people. And uh, we don't know all the reasons why David decided to stick around home. He had been having a, a ton of success. Maybe he just figured, I've earned a break. I'm going to take a year off. So he sends his men and his armies out without him. And he left himself vulnerable. He left himself unaccountable. He left himself in a situation that could easily lead to a situation. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put yourself in a situation that it would be easy for that situation to lead to? There's nothing technically wrong with that situation you put yourself in, but you know where it could lead, but you put yourself there anyway because you explain, you know, hey, there's really nothing wrong with me doing this, and so I can just do this. And I think that's one of the first steps towards leading a life of integrity, is learning not to put yourself in the situation that can lead to the situation. That's something I've had to learn in my life. But David puts himself in that situation that could lead to the situation. And so one evening, you know, he was bored, and so he decided to get online. No, I'm sorry. He decided to get up on the roof. And, you know, just take in the, the scenery. And, and apparently nearby, there was a woman bathing on a roof. Ooh, shouldn't look at that. Mm. But she is pretty. Ooh. Wonder who that is. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, I could just Google it and see who she is. I mean, I know that address. Maybe I'll just ask one of my servants since we don't have internet in the palace yet. Oh, she's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Well, interesting. Well, you know, she's probably pretty lonely. I mean, Uriah's gone, you know, to battle. Probably could use some conversation. Ah. Some looking after. Uriah would probably appreciate that. Maybe I'll just have her come over. You know, really, you know, I've got needs, she's got needs. And I mean, Uriah, he's, he's just a, he's a foreigner. I mean, he should be grateful that I let him have all these opportunities he's got to be one of my top 30 warriors and, and to even marry a beautiful woman like this from my kingdom. I mean, he really, he should be. Am I the king or what? I mean, really, isn't all this kingdom mine anyway? And it's just one night. And probably the next morning, David probably woke up like a lot of us would and assumed, well, that was that. That wasn't good, but we're going to keep that in darkness. We're going to keep that a secret. It doesn't need to happen again. No one needs to be the wiser. And then the moment comes when he gets word sent from Bathsheba, I'm pregnant. Oh. 
That's that moment when you hear a mama bear walking up the stairs. <laughs> After you just broke the lamp, right? That's the moment where things are about to come to light that you didn't want coming to light. So what are you going to do about it? So David sends for Uriah. Brings him home. Tries to get him to spend the night with his wife. But Uriah is a pretty noble guy. He says, I'm not going to do that while, I'm, while my men are out there fighting. My brothers in arms are out there camping out. I'm not going to be... I mean, you know, like, really, I'm sure that just piled it on David, who decided to stay home while all of his men were out there. Uh, and now here's Uriah, won't even do it. So finally, David, desperate to cover this thing up, sends Uriah back with a message. Now you think about that. Uriah trusted enough to not open the message. So he carries the message that seals his fate. To the commander of my forces, Joab. Dear Joab, um, here's what I need you to do. If you would, go ahead and just do me a favor. Put Uriah, I know he's one of our best, but uh, just put him on the front lines. Send him up to the wall. Yes, to the wall. And, and then call a retreat. And uh, just kind of leave him hanging out to dry. Thank you, David. Gets a letter back after a while. Dear King, things are going kind of rough over here. Uh, we did what you said, and as you must have known, all the archers leaned over the wall and let us have it. And it was pretty rough, but uh, Uriah is dead. David writes back, Dear Joab, don't you worry about it. Win some, you lose some. Keep your head up. Keep up the good work. David. Done. Don't have to worry about it. It's covered in darkness. Secret is safe. I'll make sure Bathsheba stays safe too. I'll bring her to the palace. She'll be taken care of. Isn't that a noble thing to do for old Uriah? Until the prophet Nathan comes. He seems to have been a friend to David. Someone David clearly respected as a man of God. Hey, Nathan, how you doing? Oh, David doing pretty good. Uh, actually, though, what I came to talk to you about, it's kind of rough. I, there's, I was going to tell you about this jerk. You're not going to believe this, but this rich guy has got you know, a thousand sheep of his own rich guy. Had some guests over and he was needing to feed them. Well, there's this poor guy next door and he couldn't afford any sheep, but he scraped up all of his money and he bought this sheep years ago and raised it almost like a daughter. I mean, it lived in the house with them and they just cared for the sheep and the sheep was just part of the family and it was all he could afford, one sheep. And uh, the rich guy, though, had those guests and needed to feed them. Instead of taking one of his 
thousands of sheep. Decides to send his guys next door to grab the other guy's sheep just because it could. Killed it, fed it to his guests. I'm sure he had a good laugh about it, but you know the poor guy wasn't laughing. And, and David, who, like his God, had a heart for the poor and the oppressed, as any good king and any good government should, is irate. Probably doesn't begin. I mean, you know, I wonder if his being a shepherd played into that any at all. If he had just kind of a tender spot for the whole situation and, and just couldn't fathom or imagine who would do that because certainly his father would never have done something like that back in the day when he was tending sheep. He says, Show me the man. We'll take care of this. Nathan says, You are the man. And here's what God says, David. You, I have given you all this kingdom. I have given you all these things, all this wealth, all this fame. You have all these wives and all these concubines. But if that had not been enough for you, you could have just asked, and I would have given you more. But no, you had to go and take Uriah the Hittite's wife. And because of it, you will suffer the consequences of your actions. There's always consequences to sin. We don't like to believe that. And we don't like the consequences when they happen, whether we believe that they happen or not. Now, we might like the consequences on someone else, right? Especially if they sin against you. (laughs) Bring it down, Lord. (laughs) You rain it down on them. (laughs) But as a society and as an individual, we don't really like to talk about there being consequences for our sin. But in actuality, Scripture, when it talks about the wrath of God... Especially in the New Testament, we read about the wrath of God being God turning us over to our bad decisions, to our bad way of life, to our sin, and letting it take the consequences without Him intervening. Have it your way. And the wrath of God unfolds as the consequences for what we did in rejecting His way for what we thought was a better way unfold. And so as a society, I mean, my goodness. We wonder why so many of our kids have eating disorders and things, but we certainly don't want to consider our unhealthy obsession with food as a culture. We wonder why so many of our kids struggle with their sexuality and struggle with depression and things related to that, but we don't want to talk about what we put on our TVs and what we put in our movies and what we look at and what we are obsessed with as a culture. And even as individuals, we worry about our kids even while we don't clean up our own lives. And we wonder why it gets passed on to the next generation or why we face consequences for things we've done This can happen in small ways or in big ways. David was told, one day, someone's going to sleep with your wives. 
And sure enough, before the end of his life, his own son, trying to take over the kingdom from his father, trying to kill his father, conspiring against him, would do just that. And he was also told that he would lose the son that would be born, and he did. Sin always comes with consequences. But what David did next is what we have to pay closest attention to if we want to know what it looks like to be a person after God's own heart. Because in that moment when faced with all that and when told what the consequences would be, he had a choice. He could have done what most of us would do and try to cover it up. No, I didn't do that. He could have blamed someone. Just like Adam in the garden, right? The woman made me do it. He could have said the same line. What's she doing up on the roof like that? Ridiculous. There's a million things he could have done. He could have lashed out in anger at the consequences. That's what most of us do. We think they're unjust, even though Scripture teaches us that what's really just is that we die. Even David said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's his way of saying, I have been messing up my whole life. I am not perfect. I am not, you know, I have not followed God's ways perfectly. What I deserve is to be treated as a sinner. Because that's what I am. He's talking about that sin nature that we are born with. Scripture is consistent in teaching us that what we deserve for rejecting God and setting ourselves up as God is death. But David's reaction is simply this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. See, not because of anything that I've done, but just because you're that kind of God. Have mercy on me, according to your compassions. Blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me, and against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, and so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now when I read that, I think, really, David, you only sinned against God? But I think it's kind of his poetic way of saying, against you first and foremost, above everything else, I have sinned against my God. And so David says, after hearing the consequences, after being confronted with his sin, after it's brought into the light, and there's no avoiding it, he doesn't lash out, he doesn't try to hide, he doesn't try to pass the blame, he says, have mercy on me. I have sinned against you, O God. And you're right. You are right when you pass judgment against me. You know, even in Scripture where we read about him just pouring out his heart to God, praying and fasting, 
and mourning and weeping and praying and begging for the life of his son. That prayer was not answered the way he wanted it to be. He stood up, dusted himself off, and he went on with life. He didn't become angry at God. And nor did he just wallow in self-pity. And that's the beauty of perhaps this response. He's quick to repent. Quick to say, God, I was in the wrong. God, help me. And when you come to God for help, there's not just guilt. There's forgiveness. And there's hope even in the darkness of, your, of the consequence. So the first thing we need to learn from David is to be quick to repent. And this is the main thing, the thing that I feel like is perhaps the most important lesson we can learn from David, period. Is that how quickly you repent says more about your heart than how good you behave. Really. How quickly you are to repent. To truly and sincerely repent. I'm not saying to flippantly pray a prayer. Oh, sorry about that God. I'm saying how quickly you are to truly come and say, Have mercy on me, oh God. I have blown it. I want to live your way. How quickly you repent says more about your heart than how good you behave. See, David, when you look at his life, there are multiple times where this guy blew it. On a scale larger by our standard and our judgment than a lot of people. (laughs) And yet he's called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because how quickly you repent says more about your heart than how good you behave. We find this in Scripture in the New Testament too, right? With Jesus. Jesus was constantly pointing this out in the people who were very moral, who behaved very well, and yet they had major heart problems. You know, he even told the story about the guy that said, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that sinner over there. While the sinner over there said, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Sounded a lot like David, didn't it? And that's the one Jesus praised. I'm telling you, David is like a thousand years ahead of his time when it comes to his theology and his understanding of forgiveness and sin and how all that works. So the most important thing we can learn from David about repentance is to be quick to repent. But there's something else you should know about repentance once you're quick to repent. And that's simply that you're going to need help. See, because repenting is not just about admitting or confessing. Repenting is about determining sincerely to live a different way in the future. To not repeat the same mistakes time and time again, but to live in a different way. And so that's why David, in this great prayer that he wrote, this poem, this song that he wrote in reaction in the aftermath of all that stuff with Bathsheba and Uriah, he wrote, Create in me a pure heart, 
O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Notice those words. It's not, I'm going to do better. Watch this. I need you, God, to create something new in me. I need you to grant me a willing spirit. He knew his weaknesses. He knew them. Do any of us in this room know how to change a heart? The Holy Spirit does. In fact, that's his specialty. And so, being quick to repent, that's the beginning. But if it's going to be sincere, if it's going to, have, if it's going to bear fruit in your life, then you're going to need help. And then the third thing is, you don't stop there, but you teach others from the lessons you've learned. David said, then I will teach transgressors, people like me, (laughs) your way, so that sinners will turn back to you like I've done. In other words, all that that you've gone through in your life, all the heartache all the shame, all the guilt, the forgiveness, the repenting, the turning back, the the Holy Spirit's help, don't let that all be for nothing. Let it help someone else. It's always better to learn from someone else's mistakes, right? That's and that's my mission in life <laughs> is to try and learn from everyone else's mistakes so I can make a few less and hopefully everyone's watching me and doing the same. We would all learn from each other's mistakes instead of going through the hard way. Uh, man, maybe we'd make some progress, wouldn't we? Mm. You know, maybe you're here today and you can identify with this whole process. You can identify with being quick to repent. You can identify with needing the Holy Spirit's help and what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. Maybe you would say, you know, I used to have a problem with lust, but thank God I've found victory in that area. And then be willing to hold out hope for others. This is why it's so important that the church, that we as a church recover somehow What we had at the beginning, in the first days of the early church, where they would confess to one another. Where they would be honest with one another and real with one another. Not necessarily parading it around up front on a stage, but this is why circles and small groups are so important. And classes and and groups of Christian friends that you can talk to and be real with are so important. Because we need that encouragement from each other and we need to learn from each other. And to be able to say, you know, to have a place to say, you know, I used to struggle with, with food. I mean, I just had to eat it if it was in sight. And God's really been helping me with that. There's hope for you too. Or to say, you know, I used to really be pretty greedy. I mean, I would always had to have more, more, more. And God's really been working on that with me. And I've learned to be a lot more generous and to live a lot simpler life. There's hope for you too. And I used to really struggle with substance abuse. I know where you're at. But there's hope for you too. 
Because I've had victory in my life thanks to what the Holy Spirit's done in me. I used to wrestle with jealousy and always comparing myself to other people. But man, God's really helped me with that. And He can help you too. And it goes on and on because we all deal with different things, but we all deal with stuff. So I want to ask you, this is a little bit unusual today. But I want to ask you, if God has ever helped you win a victory over sin in your life, would you be willing just to stand up today at the end of this message now and just say, there's hope for you. I know because of what He's done in my life that there, was, there were things that I used to deal with that you know maybe I still have to be cautious about it or maybe I'm still working on it to some degree but He has given me so much victory over this. You know what's amazing though is many of us standing up right now. We need the hope that we're holding out to others. It's amazing to me, I don't know if you're like me anyway, it's amazing to me that there's times in my life where I forget what God's already done in my life. And I feel like, you know, the current battle that I'm in is just too big. And I don't feel like there's much hope. And I don't rely on the Holy Spirit's help. And I'm not quick to repent like I should be. And I need to learn from myself and just take a minute to look back and see how far God's brought me. And remember the victories that He's held. But, you know, just for a second, look around the room. (laughs) There's a lot of hope standing up in this room. There's a lot of chains that have been broken in this room. There's a lot of sin that's been overcome in this room. We believe that Jesus' way is a better way. So let's be quick to repent. Let's rely on His Holy Spirit to keep on helping us overcome sin in our lives. And let's be an encouragement to each other like this. And to the people that you run into in the crossroads of life who are struggling with things. And be willing to come alongside and say, you know, I used to struggle with this. God's really helped me with that. I think He could help you too. Let's pray with David today. Have mercy on us, O God. According to your unfailing love, not according to what we deserve. God, we are quick this morning to confess our sin, to confess our need for you, to confess how very far we are from the example Jesus set before us. So forgive us, cleanse us, Make us white as snow. Holy Spirit, create something new in us. A heart that longs for you and your ways instead of the world's ways. And we promise in return to hold your hope out to a world in desperate need of it. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.